Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and today I have the author, Margaret Mary O'Connor. She's the author of Scandal in the Shadows, the original priest, Mary Mother. And so I'd like to read a little bit about the book to whet your appetite, and then we'll actually talk to the expert author. And so... Scandal in the Shadows focuses on something unbelievably incredible, which takes place in the early history of the Catholic Church, the existence of Mary Priest, otherwise known as Mary Mother of God. Millions of Catholics are unaware of the past presence of women apostles, women bishops, women deacons, and women priests in their church's history. How can you know when your own Catholic Church never disclosed the actual truth of this matter to you? Explicitly absent from this book is any type of fabricated conjecture. Instead, its facts are, ba- are backed up from the biblical research provided to you by our author that we're going to speak to today with the actual truth rather than the lies and deception you currently receive from your church hierarchy. If that is not an inflammatory <laughs> introduction... Wow, I, I think we might shake some foundations today. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome <laughs> welcome Margaret Mary O'Connor. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, and we, we do have to shake things up, definitely. It's, it's more than uh, overdue. You know what? It, there's a lot of conversation about 2020 being perfect vision, and it's all about a person's perception. And a lot of things that have been hidden have been coming to light. And I would say Scandal in the Shadows, the original priest, Mary Mother, falls into that category. Oh, definitely. But, I mean, isn't it sad, Um, especially in in my case, I'm a Catholic, but to have your own church, uh, basically, uh, it's a centuries-old scandal of lies and cover-up. And unfortunately, so many of my fellow Catholics just have no idea about the actual truth. And this really gave me the motivation initially to write a book. Uh, My brother Paul uh, received as a gift a cardboard altar, which would be like a replica of a regular church altar. And he was playing the part of the priest and I'm a twin, so my uh, twin sister, Pat, and I, we played the parishioners. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, at some point, we wanted to take over as a priest, and I can remember Paul saying, no, you're girls, you can't be a priest. So, of course, that was my first hint. But as time moved on, I heard what it, initially I thought were rumors of women being priests. And lo and behold, when I started reading uh, other authors who have that biblical research to back up what they found and then reading exactly what they found, uh, I just, it really piqued my curiosity. And something which to me is so wonderful, so refreshing, the truth, it's, it's ironclad in a sense because our hierarchy says this is it, and unfortunately, um, so many individuals that are members of the laity um, 
take it, um, and that's it. The hierarchy mm-hmm. says it, so we won't go any further. Sure. And before we get started, I have to give you salutations, as I also have a twin sister. And so I actually just spoke with her before the podcast. So twins are awesome. <laughs> so you fall into that category as yes. well. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sure. And when you're talking about the hierarchy, and I guess by that extension, we would talk about the patriarchy. And in reading your bio, we're, they're saying that you are actually a modern-day David ready to fight Goliath. So even in <laughs> even in conjecture, we're talking <laughs> patriarchy there. Well, you know how that happened was I was on uh, Matt Napple has a podcast called uh, Mad Dog TV, and he came right out and he said, Margaret, he said, are you uh, David going against Goliath? And I said, yes, I'm little David going against the Catholic Church. And uh, that's exactly how I feel. Oh, I'm so sure. That's the understatement of the decade or the century or however you want to frame that. Oh, just the weight of it. Uh, I did really have intimidation uh, crept in when I was writing this book because uh, I'm thinking, who am I to go against the Catholic Church? Um, I obviously don't have the monetary resources. Uh, I'm just the one individual but my conscience, I, I just couldn't take it any longer that sure. all these That's, facts being buried and hidden and lied about. Absolutely. And when you said intimidation, you said that was more so of a personal, uh, just a courage standpoint. You didn't get intimidated. You weren't intimidated by the Catholic Church in actually producing this book, were you? Oh, oh, no, no. But it was just a feeling because I knew that the subject matter um, uh, is, can be very controversial, unfortunately, to many people. And just remember, I'm just a messenger. <laughs> sure. Well, I've rolled up my sleeves, so I'm ready to dive in if you are. Oh, definitely. Okay. So my first question or my understanding is that most Catholics consider Mary their mother. And if you can go into why that is and what's the base foundation of the Catholic Church for the listeners? Okay. Um, if we go way back, um, the Holy Spirit, at the time of Mary's conception, it wasn't done with Joseph. It was the Holy Spirit that did this. And that's where this term, this immaculate conception came And in 1854, the church actually, the grounds for giving that title um, to Mary was the proof that she was actually a priest. And they will use Hebrews 7.26 that basically, isn't it wonderful that she is a high priest? And after Jesus, she is the high priest. And when you think of it, people will say, now, wait a minute, how can Mary be a priest? She was not ordained, and either was Jesus ordained, but both of them, at the moment of Mary's conception, she, by the Holy Spirit, was received the same anointing that Jesus received. 
And the average woman, the laity in the church through the years, we do look at, at Mary as our mother because we can go to Mary and we can pray to Mary with uh, our particular needs or, or wants. And then, of course, those prayers are to go to Jesus. It's not that she has the power to, you know, grant anything, but she's like in interceding on our behalf. But Mary has looked up as uh, a mother figure, definitely. But this is where the rub is. The Catholic Church, through the centuries, basically kept, this one side of Mary as the only side of Mary. We never got to really understand or even realize that Mary had a completely other side as being a woman priest. And in that context, she was known as Mary Priest. But more importantly, she had the title as the model of all priesthood in the Catholic Church. Now, when I give you these dates, this is just mind-boggling. Back in 1903, Pope Leo XIII received a painting of uh, Mary Mother in priestly vestments, and this was okayed uh, by the Holy Office. But in 1913, things were starting to change. They no longer allowed uh, having Mary like on a painting like that. That was no longer allowed. Then we moved to 1927. And in the context of 2,000 years of church history, 1927 is, I mean, it's really pretty close for us. What happened was the Holy Office forbid any devotion to Mary. Anything like that she was a priest, that was gone. And what really upset me was that I called it a very underhanded way. They contacted some newspaper over in Rome, and basically they're commenting to this newspaper, we were glad how... You handled uh, this question, and this question is to be put to sleep. And this question is like too involved for the regular, uh, in so many words, like the Catholics, uh, other people to really understand it. But how dare they refer to Mother Mary now in the context of question, like some type of an, an innate object? That really struck me. Um, you know, how dare they do something like that to Jesus' mother? And right. then, for myself, it, it just brings back, there's like a pattern of the hierarchy within the church. They have completely ignored Jesus' own biblical words on the a quality of woman in our Catholic Church. Um, you look at Galatians 3.28, there is no male or female, all are one in Christ Jesus. 
or Galatians 1.27, in the divine image, female and male, God made them. Mm-hmm. And why is it that if Jesus is saying that men and women are both equal, then who are these men to completely contradict Jesus' own biblical words. But it doesn't end there. If you go back to 1976, uh, the Pope has his own commission, and it's called the Pontifical Biblical Commission. And back then, the results were there is absolutely no reason why a woman cannot be ordained as a priest. Mm-hmm. So what did the hierarchy do? I mean, we're at 2020, absolutely nothing. Mm. Let's go back a little further. Let's go back to 1974, and uh, a sister, Chris Schenk, brought up the point that there was an international theological commission. And... Basically, they were looking into the question of woman deacons. Now, this is 1974, and most of us have probably heard back in 2016, Pope Francis initiated a commission on that same topic of Mm -hmm. woman deacons. But what they found back in 1974 was that ordination, whether it was for a male or female, they were both on the altar, the bishop was in attendance, the bishop placed hands on them as he uh, officiated over them in prayer. Uh, They both had a stole put around their neck. They both were given the chalice to hold and they drank from the chalice. Women were deacons. So if the hierarchy would have only acted in the 70s, there would be no need to initiate this new finding, you know, like to do it in 2016, and where are we? We're still nowhere. And Pope Francis was basically saying, I can't rule on this until I have a um, historical, theological The word (laughs) eludes me. But if you look back between what was found in the 1976 commission and and with the deacons, you have the theology there, you have the uh, historical uh, information, and then it even goes further. Vatican II had uh, different uh, constitutions And one was the Constitution on the Church in the Modern World. And there was a particular article, uh, Article 29. And in so many words, it said that the Church was supposed to get rid of discrimination of any type. Well, hello. Uh, I mean, for women in the Catholic Church, where are we? So there's like what what I'm trying to say is there's this repeated pattern of the hierarchy ignoring 
findings from their own commissions, ignoring um, Jesus' own words on women's equality. And as far as like all these previous commissions I've been uh, telling you about, this is the cover-up. It's a deliberate cover-up, and it just goes on and on and on. When we go back, Margaret, um, Mary, when we go back and we're talking about uh, Mary in the Immaculate Conception, would the argument be made that she was chosen because she was a priest? Yes. And if she was passing her priesthood on, would she identify other women at that time? Yes, she would have. um, uh, I mean, we have to remember that back within the church, and of course this has been completely, you know, it's it's just not there. There were um, women priests, say, from the 4th to the 6th century, and um, some of the names are K-A-L-E, um, I believe Lita, L-E-T-A, M-A-R-T-H-A, and the last one, Flavia Vitali. So there's proof of actually a woman priest. Then as well, there were um, woman deacons. And let's see, that would be like Sophia, Maria, Phoebe, uh, Theodora. And, of course, these names are like Greek, basically, to any Catholic because they have been completely out of the picture. They are um, never mentioned. Mm -hmm. And then there's woman bishops and... uh, being Irish, I remember Bridget of Ireland, um, Theodora, and then there was an Italian, um, a, a lady, um, Umbria. I, I don't want to the pronunciation of her name. Sure. But this history is there. So what? when we talk from oh, a historical. No, Sure. When we talk from a historical standpoint, um, are these books also uh, disregarded, the uh, Book of Mary or the Gospel of Mary and the Gospel of Thomas, uh, because both of those show relationships with women and their priesthood? Is that why that, or is yes. that? Okay. Uh, those, those aren't, uh, those aren't in, uh, really allowed uh, in the Catholic Church. Gotcha. And was that in that time frame you had mentioned from 1903, 1913, 27, and 2074, and then 2016, was there a, a, a ruling, so to speak, where those two Gospels were outlawed? Uh, I can't say exactly because of the dates on, on when that happened. Um, I can tell you that uh, John Winschgaard um, had an excellent book, uh, The Ordination of Woman in the Catholic Church, and he is the one that had all this material on Mary Priest. Mm-hmm. And it really, um, it opened up my eyes. And 
Another thing is if you look back, uh, people are saying, well, why are women treated the way they are or like secondary citizens? If we, and again, um, that same book, The Ordination of Women in the Catholic Church, it went way back and it mentioned that Roman civic law was awful uh, for women. And basically, if you didn't have money, a woman was treated like dirt. She was basically looked upon as nothing, mm. except for the women that did have money, um, that came into money, or maybe their father was rich. Uh, they would hold masses, like they called them home churches, because they had larger homes. So basically, I'm, I'm talking now in the context of these so many more women that were definitely poor and had nothing. So you have to imagine they've already got two or three strikes against them with the Roman civic law. And um, that same law came to shape church law. And particularly the Latin-speaking theologians had that particular bent. They already, in a sense had this awful bias against women from the regular Roman law, and now to, to take that law and shape it into Catholic Church law, um, it's just deplorable. Sure, and I'm thinking if, and, if we would make the parallel to 2020, in the years leading up to 2020, there, there always has seemed to be the have and the have-nots, if you will, and it seems like in, in 2020, with, with, or before 2020, 2018, 2019, with women's rights and what have you, uh, before they wouldn't stand up for each other, now there seems to be a collective. And in 2020, it seems like the collective is what's really dri the driving force to getting things done. And so, you know, for using the David versus Goliath, have you reached out to you know, people that would complement your research and then you guys do it as a collective to be more uh, effective in getting changes done. Uh, I see what you mean. No, I haven't, but I, there are, believe it or not, there's several Catholic organizations that have, for years have been working on this issue. Uh, there's the uh, Women's Ordination Conference. There's Call to Action Future Church, a Roman Catholic woman priest. And when you were just talking uh, about, like, the woman's, uh, you know, the way that they're looked down at, the inequality, Jamie Mason uh, writes for the National Catholic Reporter. And for your listeners, that's an excellent uh, uh, newspaper. And you can get it online as well, but it really gives you an insight. Uh, it's not strictly uh, conservative, you know, Catholic, being that you've got all the I's and the T's. It, they, they look at things in other ways, and they're more open. So what I'm trying to say is she wrote a blog, and she mentioned in particular our present Pope Francis Back in 2010, he had a book out, and it was called On Heaven and Earth. Now, this was just unbelievable. 
he in so many words basically said that the women feminist movement achieved their goals when women obtained their right to vote. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, 1920? Since 1920, women, women don't have any other issues. But, I mean, seriously, you take that issue into our church, and then it starts to make sense. Why isn't this issue, even today, it's simply not on the hierarchy's radar? And if you have a pope that believes that, <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no problem there, and that is um, definitely something that I mean has to change. And well, the whole. Re- I, want to, oh. I want to be devil's advocate for this one. So, with because um, you mentioned women's right to vote, and you talked about 1920, and in 2020, this is a voting year. It seems like you guys, not you guys, but women, if you collective, collectively decided to vote by not participating in the church until like, certain things were met, would that jolt <laughs> make things change, right? Because if things aren't happening at all, like there's these little waves, then you can imagine, okay, well, it's just a little wave. We're going to wait for it to subside, and then we can go back to regular business. But if women exercise their right to say, hey, you know what, we're not going to participate until, right, there's some acknowledgement, do you think then you could move the needle? Uh, that, would, that would be something if that actually happened, but I really don't see that happening. Um, mm-hmm. Back, like, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, um, there was a saying in the church, and it was called pray and obey, and Probably it even went back to the 20s, 30s. But basically, if you were a Catholic, you knew. You just didn't question your pastor. Uh, Do you have a doctorate in theology? I mean, seriously, if you had questions, you just knew you kept them quiet. You know, you might think about them, but you'd never bring them up. And aside for picketing for women's ordination, I as well... uh, picketed uh, against uh, the issue, the pre-sexual abuse issue. And mm-hmm. what astounded me is that the laity, there was just no response. I would have thought droves of Catholics would have come out uh, as well and joined the few of us that were picketing. And there's just this, like, complete silence. And where there isn't silence, there's indignation that how dare we picket against our church, against the bishop, against the hierarchy. And there was this one lady at one church, oh, my God, she came out and she was basically, you people, you're going to destroy the church. You are destroying it. Then another lady came out, and she as well was basically on that same uh, cloth. And all of a sudden, this is the middle of winter, and she whips her coat open. I thought, oh, my God, I mean, did she have a gun or what? She had a cup of water, and she had holy water in it. 
And she basically was perceiving to bless us. So I was at the other end of the line, so I said, no. I said, listen, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I am a Catholic. I know exactly what's going on in that church. And uh, I said, you have to realize that we're out here standing up for children that can't defend themselves against, you know, these priests. And, well, this is just awful what you're doing. You're going against the church, but... Getting back to your question about having women do this, there's just this complete, awful silence. And I started to think, all right, we were just talking about the priest, you know, issue, why they're not coming forward. Maybe, it, and I'm not trying to make an excuse for them. Maybe it's that pray uh, and obey, you know what I mean? Maybe. They're, they, that's it. They've had it for years. You, you didn't say anything, and they're just uh, like that wave. They're in that wave, and they can't get out of it. So I thought, well, wait a minute. What about the um, woman's uh, ordination issue? And the more I thought of it, this information obviously has never been out there. And like I mentioned, those lady priests, apostles, deacons, this would be like foreign information. And for the average Catholic woman, they, right now, they still probably can't get a hold of this because it really, it, it makes no difference to them, to their own particular life. They don't know about this history. This uh, it isn't affecting them personally. Because, again, by having all this, like, under the rug, in the lectionary of the church, they've never heard of these women. So, I mean, I'm just coming from this perspective, trying to think why um, they're not interested in this. But I'm just hoping, but having this wonderful information now out, that Mary, Mother of God, was a woman priest that finally um, things are going to change. Because when you think of it, who better than Mary, Mother of God, could be a model for woman priesthood today? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I happen to be Irish, and, and, and you look back over the generations as far as the males go, there was always like in a family, oh, yeah, um, whatever, uh, Uncle Joe, he was this, I was a priest, was a bishop, was, and it just went from one family generation to another. Well, obviously, for any woman, there was that complete religious heritage that was lost. And mm. yes, this would, be, this would be something new starting this up, but the church is saying that, oh, we, we can't have women priests. This would be something completely new. Well, no, it wouldn't because <laughs> it would actually be bringing back a former religious history that was intact until the early church fathers introduced their own canon law to remove women from their positions. 
So let me ask you this, Margaret Mary, and this is what we call putting a battery in your back. So if at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned that uh, in the, uh, for those that practice the Catholicism, that um, Mary is the mother. And if Mary was the mother through, through Immaculate Conception, you know, she didn't just stop there. She had to take care of Jesus in his formative years, and she was actually there at the end of his life. So because she was so instrumental, she wanted to make sure that he grew up to be the man he was supposed to be. And if you're having this big outrage with uh, what's happening in the church with the children, then it would seem like the mothers would bond together to say, you know what, we will not stand for this. I mean, this is how our religion started, and we cannot stand for what, what you guys are not taking uh, as serious as the accusations are. What do you say to that? Oh, that would be a particular, uh, particularly wonderful view to have them take, but unfortunately, so many Catholics are still stuck. They see only Mary from the perspective of she's the model of perfect womanhood. And anything that I'm saying, because I'm not uh, a priest, I'm not a, a pastor, I'm just a, a lay person like them, if it's not coming from the hierarchy, it basically, it's not being, uh, they're denying it completely. And then I'm, I'm thinking, well, how can they deny it? Well, again, if they're believing, and I, I think especially for a lot of the older people, if they start to believe in what I am saying, the truth, then they have to personally admit to themselves that they have been betrayed by their church. And I'll tell you from someone that's had that feeling, it it really cuts very hard. So until we can get the laity, and I'm not talking just here in the United States, this has to be worldwide. We mm-hmm. have to get the lady in, uh, over in Ireland, over in Australia. And I have a petition on my site uh, to bring back the title of Mary Priest. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, I don't it's have heresy. money to go against the church, but numbers, if people will sign that petition, if they mm-hmm. see thousands of signatures then they're going to have to look at this issue of inequality of women in our church. Well, remember, I mean, we are in the middle of 2020. It's not over. So we have perfect examples of things that were spearheaded here in the States and then became a global phenomenon, you know? So it's not like we have to reach the know. It, it, yes, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm hoping the luck of the Irish... <laughs> and i'm laughing because i mean it's heresy and and please forgive me but what if what what's happening with some of these children what if that happened to jesus right it's unthinkable no one would ever question that well what about these children who knows what they could have grown up to be if they didn't have to go through that turmoil yeah and it's 
this is what I'll, uh, I'll just never understand, that silence from the laity, because you think how this person, it's, it's not something that happened to them just when they were uh, five or ten years old. This is something that they have to live with day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And yet you have the abusive priest that basically isn't in jail, isn't in prison, that goes on to be able to, to live his life in normalcy, uh, you know, unless he's finally found out that he did something like this. But still, um, there's just our work <laughs> is cut out for us. Um, yeah, to have I'm thinking the Catholics of, step back and see another sure. Well, I, I guess the what's it called, Pandora's box, where if there were one or two or worst case scenario three abusive priests, then maybe we could put a handle on it. But if you start poking at the hornet's nest and you uncover that there are you know legions of priests that are doing this, that would really upset the apple cart as well. Well, there was like over 300 priests in Pennsylvania, and I I live in uh, Buffalo, New York, and this was just an unbelievable uh, scenario. And I'm just giving this example so you Mm -hmm. can just see how it's just not the priest, obviously. It's the bishop or the cardinal above. Um, A former uh, bishop left, retired, and the new bishop comes in. Well, the former bishop removed a priest for his behavior. The new bishop comes in, and immediately this former priest is reinstated. So I I knew something wasn't above board. Mm -hmm. Well, so this priest starts to show his colors, and, you know, they got to somehow move him on. And it got so bad that this new bishop wrote a glowing letter to a Catholic cruise ship line, in other words, to take this priest and his basically his morals were just beyond reproach. I mean, this is the sort of sickening stuff that you have bishops acting this way. These are the people that need to be weeded out. And, you know, mm-hmm. you look right just whether it's Buffalo or wherever you are in Ireland, Australia, you think of every single diocese and all these different bishops, and it's like a chessboard, the way that they have just through the years moved offending priests. Uh, well, we have to move them out of Buffalo. We'll move them to Orchard Park. We'll move them to West Seneca, you know, wherever we can move them. Uh, and this is going on all over, and it's still, people think that the uh, sex abuse, uh, pre-sexual abuse issue is over. And no, it's not over. And we all thought back, of course, in Boston um, that, oh, these new guidelines, these new commissions are going to, you know, take effect, and where are we? So... It's actually a call to action for the Catholic laity that Vatican II called the laity the people of God. And and this can sound today probably like pie-in-the-sky words, but until the laity of the Catholic Church starts to begin to question 
what is happening within their church and to come forward, then things can change. Mm -hmm. But hopefully, as I say, this is going to be a big wake-up call that I do want them to understand that our church can be better, and it can be better with their help. And if someone's listening now, like one of your audience saying, well, yeah, that, that really sounds good, but look at I'm just one person. Yes, you're one person. I'm one person. Uh, people from my other uh, podcast, you get all these individuals and you get this movement of people moving together. And then things begin to happen. So to me, it's exciting because, yes, we can have change, Mm -hmm. but we have to get the Catholics out of this awful pray and obey mentality to basically see the light of day. Well, a success success story that, sure, the success story that I'm thinking about when you talked about the 300 priests in Pennsylvania Uh, I'm originally from New Jersey, and so a lot of people from South Jersey, when they graduated high school, they went to Penn State. That was just what you did. But then when you had that Sandusky happen, the the scandal with all those underage boys there, and then the Mm -hmm. the Joe Pa, the coach, had to leave. There were years, I want to say up to three to, I mean, maybe five or seven years, that the enrollment at Penn State went down. They, you know, they weren't allowed to go to bowl games. There were, you know, penalties for things that were happening on that campus. And all it takes, it doesn't take, I mean, it's more of like eating an elephant, you know, like the saying, eating an elephant one bite at a time, where you pick these little successes to grow to bigger successes. So, you know, it sounds like there's a big ordeal that you have in front of you, but if you take the little wins, I think they can, um, they can gain some momentum. Yes, and remember I talked about um, oh, what you were just talking about, the, uh, that football coach. I mean, it was just such a shock. And then to actually at some point his statue even came down. Yes. Uh, that was a real shock. But getting back to the um, women organization groups, there's one called Roman Catholic Woman Priest. And your listeners are probably thinking, what, what, what am I talking about? Back in 2002, I believe it was on the Danube River, there's a Catholic bishop that obviously this had to be done in complete secrecy. He did ordain a Roman Catholic woman priest and Roman Catholic woman bishops because obviously if that ever came out, who he was, uh, he just no longer would be a bishop in, you know, our church. Mm-hmm. But what was so important that not only he ordained woman priests, Catholic woman priests, the ones that were ordained Catholic woman bishops was huge because there's a thing in the Catholic church as far as like Catholic, uh, the ordination tradition. And, there is a term called apostolic succession, and it goes back to Peter. So 
in other words, the women that were ordained as Catholic bishops, they have this linkage that goes back to the apostles, and that means that they themselves now can ordain woman Catholic priests or mm-hmm. other woman Catholic bishops. And this uh, started back, um, why am I thinking 2016? But when it did start, there was maybe only 200-some, and now I can just only imagine what the numbers are. But it, it's pretty exciting to think that throughout the United States there are uh, these these women that have been ordained and because they were ordained by a real live, um, you know, Catholic bishop, that they mm-hmm. now, um, and you can see this slowly, that this change is, I really believe, we are going to have women Catholic priests. Mm-hmm. It's, it's only a matter of time. Everything is going to be in place. And I think the fear is for the Catholics, again, that see me as some type of a heretic. Uh, because so many times people are afraid, really, of any change. You know, let's face it, we're all creatures of habit. We get very comfortable with certain ways we do things, and then change comes. But when you look at our own Catholic Church, obviously back in the 50s, 60s, the big thing was the Latin Mass. And then, of course, when Vatican II came, um, many Catholics were in shock because then um, the language changed to English but they have to look back beyond Latin. At one time, it was Greek. Uh, there was a time in church uh, history where uh, the cup was given, then the cup was taken away. Then it was on the t- you received communion on the tongue, and then you received communion in the hand. So if they really think about it, there have been changes uh, throughout um, the church. And they even, uh, I think it was back in the 40s under uh, Pius XII, um, they started to do this uh, biblical research. And I thought this was pretty exciting. They found that the mass that we now have that was like initiated during Vatican II is the closest thing to the earliest uh, masses that they had uh, at the very beginning of our church history. Mm. And yet there's unfortunately so many people that um, just I'm trying to think, I think it's Pius V, there's churches across the United States. And mm. they basically came into existence after Vatican II. And they do not believe, uh, they only believe up to Pius, Pope Pius XII. Pope John the Twenty-Third to them is like a heretic. Mm. So these are Catholics, but in a sense it's sad because they're, I, I call it like a time tunnel warp. <laughs> 
You know, you know what I'm saying? Because if they don't oh, leave, like from the 60s onward, they're they're, um, and it's it's really sad. And they still, the woman will go to church, and uh, they will they have to cover their heads, uh, like it used to be in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, the priests, uh, all I can think of is they must have um, obtained these older vestments. Because I remember back in the 50s, the Catholic Church vestments for the, the priests were like square. They're, they're of that type. Um, and they definitely do not have any Eucharistic <laughs> <laughs> woman ministers or God help us, the altar girls. Uh, mm. it, it is. It's, it's really like a, a, a time warp. But, I mean, it's so sad that they're, um, that unfortunately when Vatican II came, it, it wasn't, um, I'm saying the PR people, it just, it didn't come across the right way, or, or they, sure. they didn't receive the right answers. And I think they were unfortunately so intimidated that um, they weren't going to have a um, Latin Mass anymore. But I think that was their breaking point. Let me ask you a a popular culture question then. So are you familiar with the TV series called The Watchmen? Oh, that's awful. No, I'm not. (laughs) No, it's fine. It's fine. It's going to lead up. Oh, no worries. It's going to lead up to a question. So this TV show had come out in 2019. And it was about 10 episodes. But the first, what happened in the first episode, they had showed what is known as the biggest terror, terrorist attack in the United States before 9-11. This had happened in 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it was a popular TV show on HBO. And when that, that little scene happened, people questioned it all over, like on the internet and just in friends and bars and everywhere you had gone because they were questioning if it had ever happened. And then when people had done their research, found out that it did happen, you know, in this, this year, in 2020, less than a year later, there were uh, references to uh, what had happened in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, as a matter of fact, the president was going to speak on the anniversary of when the when it had happened and uh, the question to you is is there some type of a way or is there something that currently exists in popular culture that can highlight these women priests and the, the initial feedback or pushback would be well there's never any women priests but then when they do the research finding out about your book and and others that they'll they'll slowly be led to the truth but you're going through it by using popular culture. I see, I see what you're saying. Um, the, the Women's uh, Ordination Conference back a few years ago, they had two, uh, two videos out. And uh, one was It's a Man's World, and they had, I don't know if you're familiar with that song, mm-hmm. they had the actual music, and then they showed, like, women over... Uh, uh, in the churches over there, and then they would switch back and they would show, like, the priests. Uh, so they had that music. And then um, 
there was another popular song, and um, Carly, I can't think of her last name, but back about 2017, 18, you heard it all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. They basically used that music, and they had um, these women dressed like women priests that were dancing in front of this church. And then they had like teenage girls uh, uh, looking at uh, Therese Lassou. Um, mm-hmm. But it was the whole thing about, uh, you know, women being priests. So um, it was pretty catchy, both of those. But okay. uh, that is an excellent idea, like as you mentioned, you know, to get something. Uh, oh, Absolutely. And I was thinking we had we were talking primarily about Mother Mary being a priest. You had mentioned some other priests, uh, Kali, Leta, Martha, Flavia, Vitalia. Is there any backstory that you can give the audience so then they can start doing their own research about women priests? Uh, I would tell them that they should look uh, under, even just go like to Amazon and look under woman priest. And there are so many uh, excellent uh, women that have wrote, uh, wrote like different, you know, stories on priests. Sister Chris Schenk, she's come out with uh, Christina. And it's basically, it's looking in the catacombs and there's like drawings there, and it goes into this immense detail of um, basically if it was a bishop, he sat in a certain type of a chair, and then there's these uh, other uh, drawings, and now it's different. There's a woman, and she's definitely uh, in like priestly attire, yet she is sitting in this... um, same chair Hmm. so you know go back and you look at all those books and there's one thing that I did forget to mention there's a father Roy Bourgeois this is a priest that was a Merino priest and he actually spoke out for women's ordination and in fact uh, one of his good friends this lady she was one of those women that became like a Roman Catholic woman priest. He mm-hmm. uh, went to her uh, ordination. And, of course, that was like the death uh, blow to him, and he mm-hmm. was uh, removed from the priesthood. But Father Roy, when he had to, like, make a reply to the uh, – at the time it would have been Pope Ratzinger, he used something which uh, Pope Ratzinger used when he was actually a cardinal. And he he wrote this uh, opinion on something that came from Vatican II back in 1968, and it was regarding the primacy of uh, conscience. And above all, one must follow their own conscience, even in certain times if it's against uh, ecclesial uh, matters. So that's basically how Father Roy, you know, prefaced uh, that he just believed firmly that women have every right uh, to become uh, 
priest, but here's someone that gave up his own priesthood. Um, But going back to the uh, woman, uh, it was called Crispina and her sisters, woman in authority in early Christianity. And uh, her last name is capital S-C-H-E-N-K. And then there's also, I don't know if a lot of people uh, realize, back in Russia in 1970, there were uh, a lot of uh, citizens that were in prison, and in particularly, particular for the women prisoners, um, they needed a, uh, like a woman priest for them. So this bishop did uh, ordain uh, about six or seven uh, woman priest over in Russia. And this mm. one lady, she's even come here and she's talked at different uh, groups. Uh, Ludomela, uh, Java, I'm going to tell her last name, but she had a book out and it's called Out of the Depth, the story of Ludmilla, uh, capital J-A-V-O-A, ordained Catholic priest. So there's just so many, uh, you know, wonderful books that are out there. And there's a sister, Joan Chittister, and she's written books for years. And and she has a book out now, and it's called The Time Is Now. And this lady is just unreal. She she knows every beat of the church. And um, she's such a motivational uh, speaker. But she's basically telling people, you know, the time is now to uh, to speak up. Mm-hmm. There is no time like the present. And in the present moment, people should focus on Scandal in the Shadows, the original priest, Mary Mother. Uh, I know it's on Amazon. And is there any other place where they can pick up your book? And also, you did mention, Margaret Mary, that you have a website where you have a petition that you'd like people to sign. Uh, oh, you could highlight that as well. Yes, it's yourradicaltruth.com, yourradicaltruth.com. Uh, I am on Amazon for my uh, ebook and uh, my paperback book. And uh, right now, as far as I know, it's just on Amazon. Perfect, perfect. Well, you have just been attuned to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza and Margaret Mary. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and i like to stay in touch with you as the momentum gets to increase for sure. Oh, definitely, Hamza. I would like that. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Take care. Ciao.